0: strategies and interviews that will accelerate your personal and business success and now here's your host dr joe north
1: wow what a delight it is to have paul sloan on today's show i absolutely loved our conversation on lateral thinking creativity and workplace innovation paul is a 20 times published author he's an international speaker and facilitator and our conversation covers so much ground from how to break free from conformity and groupthink through to what leaders can do in terms of asking questions, their behaviours, their input to build more creative teams and get better organisational performance. And Paul also shared some of his favourite brainstorming activities to get better results from idea generation sessions and a lot more besides. I really hope that you enjoy this episode. I'm sure you will. Well, Paul, welcome to the podcast. I'm an absolute fan, as you know. And where I'd love to start is you are a lateral thinker, you're a creative, you're an innovator, you're a speaker, you're an author. You've written 20 books that have all been published. How did you get to do what you're doing? And what does a typical day look like for you if there is such a thing?
2: Well, I've got, I had a career in high tech, I was in sales and marketing, I became a, I was in sales with IBM, then I was a marketing director for a database company. And I was a CEO of a software company. And um, along the way, I was very interested in lateral thinking puzzles, which are strange situations where you get a little bit of information, and you have to ask a lot of questions. And I wrote a book called lateral thinking puzzlers, way back in 1990 and it went on to become a bestseller had been reprinted many times. And uh, then I got interested in how you would use the same techniques in solving the puzzles in business to solve business problems. And I, th- I found some common ground and it, it positioned me differently from many other management speakers who came at it from a theoretical or academic point of view. Mine was very much a solving business problems as a puzzle and how you could use the same techniques of coming at the problem from different directions, challenging assumptions, coming up with um, weird combinations, things like that, to solve business problems. And that got me into um, a mode where I was running workshops for major clients all around the world uh, and writing the books. And that all went very, very well right up until COVID. And once COVID struck, then uh, nobody was having conferences anymore, they didn't want conference speakers, they didn't want live workshops. So I had the occasional business over Zoom. So I had to reinvent myself a little and I uh, developed a range of online courses. And now a lot of my wisdom, if I have any, is in my online courses as well as in my books. So I blog a lot. Typical day, I might blog. I might uh, be active on social media. I've done a number of podcasts of my own as well as as doing podcasts with other people. I, I, I like chatting about these issues and then pottering around the house and tinkering on the piano and hitting a few tennis balls or golf balls.
1: Yeah, all of those, of course, the golf balls, the tennis and the pottering is brilliant for creative thinking. So for those people who are listening in, and and maybe lots of people have heard about the phrase lateral thinking, obviously associated with Edward de Bono. But what's your definition of lateral thinking? And why is it important, especially in business?
2: Well, lateral thinking is a technique whereby you approach a problem not head on, not directly, not the way you always do, but you deliberately come from the side. And lateral means thinking uh, from the side. And that's what it's all about. And it's about using clever, different uh, approaches, sidestepping the obvious and finding a new route forward. There's a story that Edward de Bono was was consulted by Ford and Ford said, can you help us? Because the competition, keep copying whatever we do with our cars, our new cars, you know, Vauxhall or Volkswagen or Peugeot will do something similar. We might put in anti-lock brakes or dual airbags. And What can we do to get a unique, sustainable, competitive advantage for a Ford? And he went away and he came back to them and he said, I've got the answer. They said, great, what is it? He said, what you should do is you should go to every major town and city in this country and you should buy a car park And make it available for drivers of ford cars only and it was too radical for them they didn't do it but it seems to me to be brilliantly lateral the whole point is they were approaching the problem from the point of view of an automobile engineer a jeremy Clarkson, a petrol head and they were thinking about Mm. performance and brake horsepower and acceleration he approached it from the point of view of a little old man who wants to go shopping and and he's not interested in brake horsepower he's interested in whether he can park when he gets to his destination and if you made it easier to park wherever you went that would be a powerful reason to have a Ford. So it's about taking a different point of view. If everyone else is looking this way, the lateral thinker looks this way, a different direction.
1: That's so important in business, isn't it? About competitive advantage. And, and in, in your latest book, which is lateral thinking for every day, which is brilliant. You talk about the dangers of conformity and fighting the menace of groupthink. So how do you firstly know? Because we don't know what we don't know. Right. So how do we know when we are being conformist and when we are subject to groupthink and then how do we get out of it? What are your tips for that?
2: Well, yes, there's quite a lot of in, in the book uh, about that. And it's a, it is a, a real danger and we see it time and time again. And when we look back in history, we can see that it was obvious that, you know, when everyone supported slavery or everyone thought that homosexuals were committing a terrible crime or, or all of these things, we say, how could it be? how could people have been so blind, so conforming to what was obviously an error uh, of, of morality or ethics or judgment? And yet the same thing is happening today. And if you look from afar, if you look at American politics, you see there's two groups which are very bitterly partisan and they won't allow for much compromise that they, they indulge in groupthink and their tribe is right and the other tribe is wrong um and, and whatever the other tribe suggests they have to shoot down because it's almost religious in its fervor and uh, the same happened here with brexit and anti and, and remain if you may remember mm-hmm. so um people fall into groups and in a group there's a very powerful tendency to conform, to not go against the grain, to not disagree, to not swim against the tide of the other people. It's a very powerful urge and it leads to some bad decisions. Be on the guard against it. And there are various techniques you can use. A very good technique to use in meetings is uh, six thinking hats, which is a, mm-hmm. a de bono technique where you deliberately find fault with the idea or you deliberately say what's good with the idea. Even if you, you hate the idea, think it's a terrible idea, wearing the yellow hat, you have to say what's good about it and the advantages and, and so on. Another thing is to uh, challenge all the assumptions, even have somebody whose job it is to be devil's advocate, just in the Catholic Church when they're, they're trying to uh, see if someone's going to be a saint, so, uh, one cardinal's appointed, one cleric, and whose job it is to argue against. This is, is something that we need to be on the guard against. And, and a really good thing to do is to get very different sources of input. So If you normally read The Daily Telegraph, read The Guardian. Uh, If you normally read The Daily Mail, read Private Eye. If you normally watch BBC, watch Al Jazeera. Uh, And I'm not saying that one's right and the other's wrong, but they will give you a different perspective on issues and help you to see the other person's point of view and maybe come to a, a more nuanced judgment.
1: Yeah, I think that's such an important skill in the day and age that we are in, especially with social media, Google, so much being packaged and presented to us through algorithms it
2: should be a source of a diverse range of opinions but people tend to operate in their own echo chambers with their own followers and their own groups who who just repeat the same sort of things that they've they've said so it um the the internet is not a force for diversity it's a force for conformity it seems
1: with awareness of course we can use it to our advantage and do it differently it's interesting I think that fresh perspective I mean one example I'll often use is Uber you know Uber wasn't founded by some taxi drivers deciding that they could offer better customer service through technology. it was from outsiders looking into the industry and I think that's so important isn't it for yes. business success
2: Well that's the whole point about lateral thinking you if you're going to innovate as an organization there's two kinds of innovation to oversimplify one is incremental innovation where you improve things. And most businesses and most managers are good at that. And the other is radical innovation, where you find a completely different way to do things. And most businesses and most managers are poor at that. And you can't incrementally innovate an aeroplane into a helicopter. You have to start again. And you can't incrementally innovate an aeroplane into a rocket. And you can't incrementally increment a taxi company into Uber, because they don't own a single taxi.
1: So let's explore that a bit then, because... There are people who come to work and don't appear to be creative, but they are very creative outside of work. And of course, there are people who come to work and they are very creative. So there's a mix. But what is it about work and creativity? What gets in the way of creative people
2: at work? Well, I'll tell you what gets in the way. One is busyness. So most people are very busy at work and they've got no time for experimentation or trying new things. I very often ask the question, what's impeding innovation in your organisation today? And most people say we don't have the time to try new things. So we're working flat out. Everyone's working. Everyone in the NHS is working flat out. Everyone in big organisation, they're all working flat out or so they think. Um, often doing uh, uh, low value tasks, they don't have time to goof around and try something crazy. That's the first thing. The same one is fear, fear of being ridiculed or criticized or fear of failure. If you try something new, and it doesn't work. Uh, people might point the finger at you and say, well, she was silly trying that. What a waste of money. I mean, a- anyone could see that wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. That wasn't very clever of her, was it? And that sort of criticism or fear of that criticism is very powerful. And then and the other thing is, is approvals. Just getting approval to try new things can often be very difficult, not worth the effort. Um, and if you have to go and get approval from IT to develop a new uh, app, or if you have to go and get approval from legal for a, a new form for customers, it's just a hassle. So, yeah. um, uh, regulation, approvals, and regulation are difficult. And, and then many people are just risk averse and uh, they, they, they don't like change. And, and there are forces in organizations which are resistant to change.
1: And there are tips in your book, aren't there, about how to work with risk-averse people, how to influence for change. So what are your top tips?
2: Well, I give a lot of talks. One talk I gave, somebody came up to me afterwards. He said, "Paul, he said, I'm very creative. My boss doesn't like new ideas. What should I do? And I thought, what should he do? And then I sat down and thought about it. I wrote a blog. And um, it had about 10 tips on what you should do if you're creative, but your boss is doesn't want to hear your ideas. Uh, And the first thing is don't go to him at the end of a busy day, he or she, at the end of a busy day and say, look, I've got a great idea. What you should say is if you've got 10 minutes tomorrow morning, first thing, where we can talk about something which will be beneficial for the department, help you and help us, I think. Mm And they'll probably say yes. And then you, you, so you, you don't uh, get them when they're all stressed out because they'll just say no, it's not going to work. And then produce your idea. But you must align your idea with his or her objectives. So you know the corporate objectives, what we're trying to achieve as an organization is this. And it's very Im- important that you understand your boss's objectives, what he or she is trying to achieve, what they're hop on. And if you can show that your idea would help them to achieve that, then that's a big, big plus. Mm-hmm. And depending upon the, sometimes you can sort of give them a half formed idea and let them shape it so that they take ownership of it and they then think it's their idea, which is a little bit frustrating, but it does get the thing is given birth. If they're very risk averse, point out the risks of not doing it. If we don't do this, there's a danger other departments will overtake us and we'll be, we'll be left out in the cold. So if they're risk averse emphasize the risks of not taking action of standing still so there are various things like that you build a coalition of support before you go in even start doing it yourself and build a prototype and show them the prototype and say i've shown this to one or two customers and they love it you know Mm -hmm. i spoke to this so uh, anticipate their their issues and, and there's various techniques you can use but if you're completely blocked and you're in an environment where there's no opportunity to to try new things, then quit and work somewhere else It's yeah. the final yeah. piece of advice. I've
1: done that previously before I started my company over a decade ago now. It was my third to last employer before I left and I was working really hard to make money for them, which is what my job was. And they made it very difficult <laughs> for me to make more money for them. You know, <laughs> it's interesting as well, because sometimes I think we have great ideas and the number of people who've got a great idea for a business or a great idea for a product or service or to, to do something maybe for the community and it always stays a good idea what's going on with that and how can we use some of your lateral thinking being open-minded trying things to actually do something with that? can you imagine if there was a pile of of all the good ideas that nobody had ever done anything with it would be absolutely huge
2: it would be huge yeah and course, sometimes it's not the right time and sometimes the technology isn't there and sometimes you're just unlucky i mean a lot of being successful in terms of entrepreneurs and inventors is luck and timing and knowing the right person at the right time uh, but there, uh, there's some a lot more advice on this subject now than they used to be there's a very good book by eric reese called the lean startup and yeah. in there he argues very strongly for a thing called the minimum viable product and what he says is once you've got a great idea Build the smallest working version that you can, a simulation of it, and show it to people and get their feedback rather than build the whole product in secret which is what they did with the Segway, for instance. They kept it totally secret and then they launched it and it it disappointed. Take out your early design and show it to people, even if it's a wireframe, even if it's just a series of mock-ups of screens. People say, yes, I like that, but this is missing the mark. This isn't right. And rather than develop the wrong thing, you'll get that very useful early feedback. You have to choose the right customers to show it to positive forward thinkers and you choose one and and they'll give you constructive feedback and then you build a second version you show that so once again it's not quite right and so on until you've got something that people really like
1: mm-hmm. and then
2: you've got to get some funding and some backing and, and, and off you go
1: yeah, I mean, I have a, a philosophy in terms of some of the innovation projects that I work with clients on, which is we should always be in beta, everything should always be in development, ready for the next version, yeah. ready for the next version, because things are moving, whatever industry you're in, whatever yeah, you're in perpetual beta. Yeah. So in your view, is everybody creative, Paul, are some people more creative than others? What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, often when I'm if I'm with an audience, I'll say, who here thinks they're creative? And, and you get a smattering of people. And I say, well, you're all in the creative industry now. Whatever business you're in, whatever your job type, you're actually in the creative industries. And if I said to you, who thinks they're here? Who thinks they're musical? And you get a handful of people who are mm-hmm. musical. And I say, right, if I offered you $50,000, if you come back in a week with a song that you had composed yourself, do you think you could do that? Any kind of song doesn't have to be good. You have to, it has to be a song of some kind. You have to perform it. All right. You can get some help, but it's mainly your work. Could you do that for $50,000? Who thinks they could? Everyone raises their hand. Everyone. So we could all compose a song. We could all write a book. We could all write a story. We could all write a poem. We could all be creative. So some people are naturally much better than others. I mean, they're not all going to be Paul McCartney, are they? Let's face it. But it's the same with ideas. If you get a bunch of people in, in a room, some people will be have lots of great ideas. Some people will very few. But they've all got ideas. And very often the quietest person in the room has some of the best ideas. It's not the noisiest or the, 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 the most dominant in the conversation who have the best ideas. You have to find techniques to draw out the quieter people. But everyone was creative as a child. And everyone can be creative as an adult. It's just that the environment they're in, the culture of their organisation is not conducive to creativity.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And sometimes we get, you know, convention, what we're going to look like, are we going to look silly? The psychological safety of all of that is important too, isn't it? There are some businesses continue to do well in this tough economic climate that we're in at the moment and some that are more challenged. What would you say to those businesses who are thinking, well, we're not going to innovate right now because actually it's a harsh world out there economically, financially from a growth perspective. What are your thoughts about innovating in difficult times?
2: Well, there's a lot of evidence that the most difficult times are the best times to start a new business. If things are going well, everyone's going well, it it, it fools you. You think I'm doing all the right things. When times are tough, you have to think very, very hard. And when times are tough, there are good people available. And there is office space available and there is support people available and there are opportunities. And it's a good time to try something new. And if your business is struggling, then I would still allocate a little bit of time for just brainstorming and thinking with the team. Take the team away one Wednesday afternoon and say, is there a better way to do what we're doing? What problem do we solve for customers? Is there a smarter way to solve that problem? And if you get your best people away and give them an environment in which they're they're free to to come up with crazy ideas, typically you'll get some great ideas. And the people who are close to the action have seen things that you as the boss haven't seen or can't see. And they'll say, well, if we did this, I think customers would like it. And, well, why did we never think of that before? You have to find a little bit of time. And when they come up with a great idea, what you have to say is, I'd like you to build a prototype. I'd like you to build a minimum viable product. And they say, boss, I'm too busy. And you say, what can I take off you and give to someone else to free you up? How much time do you need? And you might say, well, I need two days a week for the next three weeks. I need some support from IT. All right, we'll try it. And we'll see where it goes. And it might not work. But it, sometimes it does work. And when it does, it energizes the whole company. People see it and they think, wow, you can do things around here.
1: Yeah, it's about having a go. And from a financial perspective, you know, don't risk more than you can afford to lose. But to see it as investment, it's R&D. And if it doesn't work the first time, you know, with some tweaking, it might work with some development or with some future things. I think I was reading somewhere that YouTube actually started as a dating site. That was the intention was for people to meet each other. And that wasn't how people used YouTube. No. So YouTube flexed what it was doing to accommodate how people wanted to use yeah. it rather than going against sort of the, the natural value proposition, I suppose. It was. It's often shows. the way
2: you have to find yeah. out what customers are using your product for and then repurpose it for that.
1: Yeah, and, and go with it rather than necessarily shoehorn them yes. into the thing that was your original idea.
2: There were some immigrants to the USA called the Jacuzzi Brothers. They came from Italy and they invented this form of bath that was very good for arthritis sufferers and it was designed to help arthritis sufferers and they put it on the market and the arthritis sufferers couldn't afford it they weren't selling very many but after a while they discovered the people who were buying it were very rich people were <laughs> using it to improve their, their social life yeah. uh, amongst other things and um they repos- repositioned the jacuzzi as, as a, a luxury item for wealthy people and it became a success
1: one of my favorite chapters in your book is 10 things to do when you are stuck.
2: Yeah, we all get stuck.
1: Yeah, all and, of us, um, don't we? We procrastinate and we don't yes, do stuff. I,
2: but... I'm as bad as anyone. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm very good at giving advice. I'm not so good at taking my own advice, but I procrastinate and I need deadlines and I need a, sometimes a kick up the backside to keep me moving. And uh, there's various techniques in the book and, and even anything, the slightest thing, you just get them into motion. If you can just write the first sentence, uh, anything like that just gets you going
1: identify what's stopping you yes you define your goal um i love the one about checking your assumptions because sometimes when we're stuck it's because we've got these sort of self-imposed constraints
2: yeah all successful people have enormous self-belief and you have to build your self-belief And a lot of people you meet they lack self-belief and and they hesitate and i'm no good at that and they limit their achievements and possibilities because of the limited assumptions
1: so how do we challenge or firstly how do we surface those how do we spot them you know from an innovation and a business growth point of view that we've got some assumptions here that are actually holding us back and therefore holding the business back and then when we've spotted them what do we do about them
2: well we challenge them and we say what if that what if the opposite were true what if that restriction wasn't there what if I had unlimited funds what if I could do had all the IT support what would I do how would things be different and you just explore those things and it helps if you've got. A constructive outsider to bounce these ideas off Mm. and say, you know, what assumptions are we making? Well, you're assuming customers will only buy, you know, this sort of thing. You're assuming that customers uh, will only operate at weekend. You're assuming and they'll challenge some of the assumptions that are, are holding you back and constraining your business or your project. And maybe those assumptions sound But sometimes they're not. And you have to rethink the whole thing.
1: I like to ask people to think of a counter assumption that might just be as valid and true. You know, I think sometimes, and maybe this is your experience as well, there are senior managers, business leaders, business owners who are really up for innovation and genuinely want it. And there are those who do, but then when it comes to it, dither, don't make decisions. You've got a quiz about being open-minded. So I'd I'd love to talk about that because I think sometimes people think we're open-minded, but are we really?
2: Yeah, well, I did a TEDx talk on this. Uh, We all think we're open-minded, but of course, we're all victims of our own constraints and and we're all in a straitjacket in a framework which limits us. And um, I argue that you have to be quite deliberate about freeing yourself from the constraints of doing the same thing every day. And thinking in the same way and making the same assumptions, speaking to the same people, doing the same thing and deliberately try something new every day and introduce the random, introduce deliberate variation in order to try out new things and in order to experiment and and just to see what might be true and what might not.
1: The brain, from a survival point of view, to keep us safe, but also from an energy consumption perspective it likes us to keep doing the same thing yes. because that's easy and it hasn't killed us so far. So, so therefore, it's OK. It's about just creating new neural pathways, disrupting the habitual way of thinking, isn't it? Just it is. Some small and, things. and
2: I would like to claim in this moment that my book will help you to do that. Lateral thinking for every day. That's a lot of examples and stories. To, to to You really help with that, yes?
1: It's absolutely great. Some of the things I do is I write backwards with my left hand. I do mirror eyes. Oh, do you? Wow. You can brush your teeth with the opposite hand. There's lots of different things we can do, isn't there, just to disrupt ourselves and not get too comfortable. You're also partial to metaphor, as am I, and a metaphor as a way of helping us think more creatively. So, yeah, how do you use metaphor?
2: One of the exercises that I do actually uh, with my workshops, it's, it's called similes, not metaphors, because we, it, it, it's, it's strictly in the form of a simile. So mm-hmm. what you do is you have a problem, and here's the business problem. And it's trying, instead of trying to solve the problem, what you say, who else has a similar problem in an entirely different walk of life? So who's got a problem that's loosely like ours, but they're in... The military or they're in a hospital or they're in the arts and then how would they solve it all right what did they do well the big retailers they, they had this right there and they did this and they, the army they did this and so on then you say which of those ideas can we take over from their environment and try in ours and sometimes it works really really well and I've done it with a number of uh, organizations and we've taken ideas from elsewhere and used them
1: when working with businesses, I'm really keen that we look for what's world class or best in sector out of sector. Because if you only look at what your competition are doing in your direct industry yes. doing, then at best you'll only ever match them. Usually, be sort of some sort of poor copy, you know, unless you can do it a bit better. But by looking at what's going on completely outside and seeing what you can take and bring that in that the sector currently doesn't offer, I think is is really important, isn't it? Do you facilitate groups as well?
2: One of my online courses is Advanced Brainstorm Techniques. I go through 14 different methods that I've used and similes is one of them. And and depending upon the problem and the group, I'll I'll choose different methods. And My job is not to come up with ideas. My job is to displace people out of their comfort zone and force them to think in new ways and there's lots of techniques you can use to do that and generally speaking we get some terrific ideas at the end of the end of the day or end of the workshop.
1: Yeah I mean I also facilitate innovation sprints, events, workshops and, and train facilitators to do the same. I've got a community of several hundred facilitators in the facebook group who many of whom will be listening to this podcast so what is your favorite little known you know more unusual more not off the shelf something a bit quirky what's your favorite techniques that you think you know really these should be bigger hits than they are
2: there's quite a number that I use. Have you ever tried splitting extroverts and introverts in a workshop?
1: Yes, I have for a number of reasons. Uh, I've done yes. that,
2: and and it worked yeah. quite remarkably well. So I got the people to self-identify as extroverts or introverts, and most people are quite honest about that. And I put all the extroverts in a group and all the introverts in a group, and then we ran some brainstorming methods. And at the end of it, I said, "How was it?" And, and they both came up with good ideas. In fact, the extroverts came up with more ideas, but the introverts may have come up with better ideas. They considered them in more depth, probably. And I said, how was it? How did it compare to a normal brainstorm? And the extrovert said it wasn't any different. It was just a normal brainstorm. And the introvert said, oh, it's very different. It was much better. (laughs) We were (laughs) dominated by the noisy people who normally run the whole conversation. So that's a good one. Another one, uh, did you do um, yes, but, and yes, and?
1: Yes, and all the appreciative inquiry. In fact, I've got a video about that. And I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and he hadn't realised, once we'd pointed out as a group, how many times he said yes, but. And then it just stood out, you know, hugely. Because language really affects how well
2: we create doesn't it yeah. and we do i ran one for a, a local men's club the 41 club and um it was ideas to improve the, the club and i said right you're not allowed everyone has to write down an idea doesn't it? any idea can be a crazy idea. and when you share it you, you, no one's allowed to criticize it. anyone who criticizes it has to buy a drink for everyone on the table what you have to say is yeah you must start with these words building on that and so you take whatever the idea is, and then you have to take it somewhere different, do something with it, improve it, make it different, better. And off they go. One person's suggestion was uh, everyone. We should have a meeting where everyone has to uh, tell us about their most embarrassing experience. Uh, and, and somebody said, well, building on that, um, uh, we have a meeting where everyone has to say either the most embarrassing experience or the experience they were happiest at, proudest at. And, we, and then one guy at the end said, building on that, everyone has to say their most embarrassing experience or the happiest experience and describe the woman who was involved. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it went around the table and, and yeah. it's fun. And it just takes and th- this concept of you take a, a crazy idea and then you take it in any day or even a blunt idea, you take it is an interesting one. And rather than shoot down ideas or find fault with them, which is so easy. So we say, yes, but it won't. we well, yes, but the customer, yes, but we can't afford it. Yes, but it's just so easy to yes, but ideas.
1: It is. And how the brain works is it dismisses all the things that go before the yes. but. Yes. The <laughs> sentence starts at but, doesn't it? And then we're into the <laughs> negative. That's that's how <laughs> we think. You know, the, the questions we ask ourselves and of each other And the language that we use and how we phrase things either helps or closes down lateral thinking, doesn't it? Some of the questions you were saying, you know, great innovation questions, what if, building on that to move things forward and yes and ideas, it really does matter how we speak. So what do you think about the language of businesses and the language of organizations and how can leaders improve that and open up that communication to get that so much better?
2: you have to look at the language you're using and it's the trouble is we expect our leaders and our managers to be dynamic and decisive and once they get once they stand up and say we've got to do this and we have to do this and we, we have to get this report in by Thursday and we you're in command and control mode yeah you're, you're bossing people around and and that's okay it's in parent child mode almost and and a better approach sometimes is to be much more open and say how can we achieve that? What are we trying to achieve here? Is there a better way? What ideas have you got? And rather than start with your idea and your proposal, talk about the problem and get underneath the problem and then ask people for their ideas. And the manager should hold back so that people aren't influenced by his or her opinions early. And they should come in later when they've heard other people's input, I think.
1: You're right about the the Disney technique, which is one I use as well, which is the dreamer, the realist, um, I call it the critic, and then the wise observer pulling it all together. So for those people listening who are new to that, you you start off and saying, what's our big ambition here? The realist is around, well, how would we make that work then? The critic is, let's risk assess all of this, a bit like the black hat in De Bono's Six Thinking Hats. And then the wise observer puts the best from all of those other three perspectives together, comes up with a solution. So it's a bit like, you know, taking it all in, hearing all those different perspectives and in a genuinely unbiased way.
2: So i I'd, I'd been running workshops for a number of years. And then a German client who I worked with, a big pharmaceutical company, said, Paul, can you can you come over and teach us the Disney method? And, and I said, yes, I can I never heard of it. I'd never and I said yeah sure I can. and I read up about it I said this is yeah. really good I went over and one of the best ways to learn something is to teach it as you know Of course, yeah. and, then, and brought it back to the UK and found many people had never heard of it didn't know about it um but it's a very useful technique and I've used it on a number of occasions and it works well
1: it does work well and I think people can remember the three plus one I think with the six hats which I love the the Dubono six thinking hats sometimes people can get confused about which colour's which and lose the thread a little bit. It
2: needs to be well facilitated, but it, it works remarkably well, I find, Six yeah. Thinking Hats, especially if you've got a contentious issue uh, with people for and against and strong emotions and for strong feelings. Um, and, and instead of having the um, adversarial discussion that you normally have where the head of marketing and the head of sales go up against each other because they don't like each other and they don't want to acknowledge the other one's got a better idea it, it diffuses all of that and they've both got to say what's good about it and they've both got to say what's bad about it at the same time and it helps you shape the and you get much more progress much more quickly with that method
1: I mean I'm sure you do the same I run it in a couple of ways which is um, either everybody's the same hat at the same time And then everybody swaps perspectives, or people can adopt different hats in the same group. So we've got a diverse. Yes, well, I think once
2: you—if everyone's wearing different hats, you're back to a normal meeting. I think really. Yes,
1: but at least there's an awareness. There is an
2: awareness. I like to do it where they all have to do the same hat at the same time, and and I get—I always do it the same sequence. I always do white, and then red, and then yellow, and then black, and then green, and then blue.
1: It depends what I'm doing and why. And what the purpose is. But I really enjoy it when people adopt a hat, which naturally they don't find easy. And it really makes them think about how they normally operate, how they normally communicate and contribute. Um, Well, there's
2: a lot of people around who are just black hat thinkers. They're always finding fault with things. And they can can see it then because they're forced to wear the yellow hat. And the red hat is a very interesting hat where people talk about their feelings because in business meetings, we tend not to talk about feelings and men think it's a sign of of weakness to talk about feelings, but feelings are very important. Feelings underpin most decisions that, you know, the the SNP argument for independence is all based on emotion and feelings. Brexit was largely driven by emotion rather than logic. And um, feelings are important. And if you get everyone to articulate their feelings and express them early, I feel threatened by this idea. I feel excited by this idea. I feel nervous about it. it. It's cathartic. It gets it out there. And then you can be much more calm in the discussion.
1: Absolutely. Our behaviours, decisions, actions are driven by emotion and post-rationalised with logic. That's
2: right. Exactly. Um,
1: Yeah, (laughs) It's all driven by how we want to feel, isn't it? And that's a a huge influence. So I think it's actually really healthy to surface that as well. So now one of your um, other books is about and you've got 20. So we're not going to cover all of them, but I, I love the title of this. It's about having a brilliant brain. So how, on top of the the tips you've already given us, how do you think business leaders can have an even more brilliant
2: brain? It's called How to Be a Brilliant Thinker. And there's a book which has done pretty well. And I've just done an online course of it on Udemy called How to Be a Brilliant Thinker. And what I argue is that no matter how good a thinker you are today, you can be a better thinker. And that's because most people think in only one or two different styles. And most people think with words. Uh, rather than pictures or rather mm. than numbers or rather than similes uh, or metaphors. And if you can use different thinking styles, you can be much more effective. And the analogy I use is if you think of a tennis player who's a very, he's got a very good forehand. He stands on the baseline, he whacks the ball with his forehand and he runs around and he hits on the back. He'll hit his forehand and he'll do pretty well, but he'll never be a great tennis player because... To be a great tennis player, he has to learn how to play a backhand, how to play a lob, how to uh, do a a drop shot, how to come to the net, how to volley. And he has to get all of those aspects of his game uh, up to standard. And then his, his forehand will still be very strong. But typically we use critical thinking or logical thinking. There used to be this idea that there was a left brain and the right brain and the left brain was all analytical and numerical judgmental and the right brain was creative and imaginative and intuition and you were either left brain or right brain and neuroscientists now say that it's not strictly true you don't use the two halves of the brain but the metaphor the the idea itself is still powerful because most Mm -hmm. people do think in one mode or the other mode And you get most people at work are very rational, logical, analytical, and critical of ideas. And then you get some other people who are are, known as ideas people, and they come up with all sorts of wacky, crazy ideas, uh, not grounded particularly in reality or, or what we can do. Um, and they would, you would traditionally have said they're the right brain kind of people and there they might be musicians or artists in their spare time as well. So what I'm, I argue in my book and on the course is that you can develop different styles of thinking and you should self-assess. There are a number of places on the Internet where you can assess your thinking styles. I list some of them on the course where you can do a self-assessment. It will tell you it's not absolutely a scientific and precise, but it will give you an indication of your natural thinking style. And then I I recommend that you develop uh, additional thinking styles. If you're no good at maths, you need to develop a little bit of maths and probability and statistics. I talk about parallel thinking, thinking in combinations, thinking visually, thinking mathematically, the power of pondering, emotional intelligence, all of these different things you can use. Then I talk about the tools that you can use, such as problem analysis tools, memory tools, parallel thinking tools like six hats and so on that you can use um, to do this. And I give some little exercises on the course and uh, in the book to help you do that. So I think everyone can be a better thinker by developing more thinking styles. And, you know, if you wanted to improve your tennis, you might go to the tennis coach. You say, I want a lesson on my backhand this week because I have it's very weak and your coach will do it. You, nobody ever goes to a thinking coach and says, I need to develop my lateral thinking because I'm too, too much of a critical thinker. I'm too logical. And yet thinking is more important than tennis. We use thinking all the time, especially uh, senior people. And yet nobody ever says, I need to improve my thinking styles. I should go to a thinking coach. Well, in a sense, this book and this course is your thinking coach.
1: I agree with you I mean I, I'm of the, the opinion that you can hold two opposite apparently opposite truths and you know that that's okay so on the one hand I, I'm a really big believer in playing to strengths I think there's a lot of evidence to, to yes. show that we, we we do better we're happier we're healthier we contribute more when we play to strengths but at the same time it's also about you know developing in a more rounded way yes. I think a lot of people get out of developing themselves or having to make the effort to learn things because they go well this is how I am this is you know how I'm made and actually a lot of of what we do and how we behave is learned behavior isn't it it's of course habits.
2: we settle into the the mode in which we're comfortable and the where there's least resistance it works mm. and I can play really good shots with my forehand so I'll run around and hit every shot with the forehand it seems to work what's the problem yeah And um, but you'll never really develop fully I mean but you're right uh and even the good tennis player, his forehand might be better than his backhand. Play to your strengths, but you should be aware of your weaknesses and do something about them.
1: Because your strengths are great while they work for you, uh, until they don't. <laughs> and, then, and then it's about having something else in your, you, know, a more yes. rounded toolkit. In terms of people making the most of leveraging the creative wisdom from the team and having diverse teams and getting the best out of the creative tension that comes from that as a leader.
2: Yes. Well, um, there's a lot spoken about diversity these days, and I, and I said on one of my workshops, I said brainstorming and ideation sessions where diversity really pays. One of the areas where diversity really pays off, or uh, any kind of ideas meeting, and it's good to have young and old, experienced and fresh into the company, men and women, people from different departments, because they've all got different perspectives, and and those perse- perspectives are very valuable. Have you read the book by Matthew Syed called Rebel Ideas?
1: I have, yes. It's very
2: good. The first chapter in that is very powerful. And it's about conformity. And it's about the CIA and how they recruited the absolute top graduates from Stanford and MIT and Harvard and Yale. And the trouble was they all thought the same way. They were all white, highly educated uh, men and women. And they just couldn't conceive that a man in a cave, Osama bin Laden, could, could come up with a plot like 9-11 it just wasn't on their radar at all and they had very few arabic speakers very very few people with any kind of real understanding of the middle east and arab cultures uh and 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 so although they had a terrific team that it lacked diversity and there were no rebel ideas in there um and and the whole book is full of um great stories like that so you should encourage diversity and if necessary introduce some external people and i've run brainstorms we've had an external per- customer in or, or just an outsider somebody who is very different and thinks differently uh, and one of my clients a big engineering company they sponsor the 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 hallé orchestra in manchester and they bring in a conductor or the lead violinist they're talking about management problems they'll say uh, well, how's that? well how do you face that how do you do this in the orchestra it's a bit like the similes thing but they actually bring somebody in uh, and so well, we, when we have this sort of problem, we do that. Oh, really? That's interesting. So diversity really pays off. Uh, and the manager, the, the leader can encourage that and can encourage people to contribute and can encourage the quietest, most introverted people to contribute. And there are techniques to do that. The nominal method's very good where people write down ideas and pass them, pass the parcels. Another one where people write, start have to start with a really crazy idea. Then you pass it round and, and you make it, creative rather than uh, ludicrous so there are techniques you can use which overcome the issue of the big beast in the room who dominates the discussion the trouble is if you're a a a real dominant thinker it's hard for you to stop yourself from launching in and saying great idea mary oh that won't work edward but and and that you're showing favoritism all all the way through and, and your own judgment uh, dominates so I did uh, a workshop with a big engineering company on the south coast of England and we started with what's the problem here and one of them was authoritarian leadership and the MD was in the room and he knew it and he absented himself when it came to the discussion he left and we had all the, we did the, we came up with a lot of great ideas he came back at the end of the day and we said these are the ideas for improvement and he said terrific that's great I love that uh, but if he'd been in the room he couldn't have stopped himself from launching yeah. in but he was smart enough to know that he was the problem.
1: And went away. Yeah, I think that's something I really speak to clients about in advance is that if I'm going to have the leaders in the room, it's about them listening more than that, you know, still contributing. I also get sometimes leaders saying, well, the thing is, they won't open up if I'm there. I'm saying, well, how on earth are they going to ever open up when you're there unless they have the opportunity to have exposure to you? You know, what better time when you've got a professional facilitator in the room that can help get that going for you? So so it's about working with people's awareness and leaders doing the, the right thing and knowing themselves and being open to yeah. doing that to make it successful. We could talk for a very long time about all sorts
2: of things. The, the problem is we keep agreeing with each other, Joe. We do. We do, don't <laughs> we? We need to, we need a wild card. There's research that should, teams that get on really well together are less creative than teams where there's some tension. A lot of managers hire for conformity. They say, I want someone who will fit in with the team. And you don't want that. You don't want everyone the same, just like in the CIA. You want uh, some grit in the oyster. You want some. You don't want a destructive tendency in the team, but you want some constructive dissent. You want some constructive contention of ideas so that you, people don't all say, that's a great idea, Joe, and we're all going to do that. We're all behind. You want some degree of support and some degree of challenge. So you want a diverse team, and you want Diverse sets of views, if you can.
1: High daring, high caring. Yes. it's that sort of quadrant in. I mean, everything in life can be drawn on two by two. Yes, a four box, <laughs> a four box matrix of grid. Everything. Yeah, get everything on two axes. <laughs> uh, it always works. It's okay for people not to see eye to eye on how things should be done, as long as at least there's a a shared set of values and people working towards the same object.
2: Exactly right. If we've got the same goal, but we've got different opinions of how to get there, that's fine. If we've got different goals, that's not so good.
1: And that needs to be in an environment where I'm okay and you're okay and we know each other's okay. So therefore we can have that disagreement, you know, it's just part of how we operate. And quite like Jeff Bezos' expression, which is disagree and commit. So we have full and frank conversation, disagreement when we're, you know, in the session together as a team. Once we've made the decision... Even if you, you know, it wasn't your first choice of decision. As soon as we come out of here, you know, we're all in it together and we're all committed. Yeah, what I I
2: say is, do we want alignment? And uh, people say, well, I want alignment in the team. And once the decision is made to go ahead, you want alignment. Everyone behind it, everyone trying to make it work. Then after a while, you sit down and say, is it working? Well, to be honest, boss, this this area is not. And then you think about it, and you might change. You might change a whole bunch of things. What if we made that decision? Even the people that disagree with it, we're aligned. We're all going to try and make this new approach work. And you try your very, and then you sit down and you get, so it's like um, convergent and divergent thinking. So at the meeting, you have the divergent thinking, but once we agree, we converge and we're all aligned on the goal. But you flip-flop between the two modes. You're not in total alignment all the time. Otherwise, there's no scope for disagreement.
1: Yeah, because sometimes great decisions can be undermined by poor implementation and, uh, and people who aren't fully committed to making it work. So that's super important. So, how can people connect with you and find out more about
2: you? So you I'm to- on Twitter. I'm quite active on Twitter. I've got 40 something thousand followers on Twitter at Paul Sloan, P A U L S L O A N E. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. I've got 8,000 uh, first level connections and I'm happy to connect with you. I've got my own uh, group on there, Lateral Thinking in Business. Uh, which you can post on and, and join. Um, those are the two main ways, I would say. I'm on YouTube. I've got quite a number of videos on YouTube. You can see me there. Um, so uh, please get in touch and search on my courses on Udemy or, or my books on Amazon.
1: Well, Paul, that's amazing. Thank you. I feel inspired and energized to go out and be even more creative. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone listening is feeling the same
0: as well. So, Paul, thank you very much indeed.
2: I really enjoyed it, Joe. Thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Idea Time Show, brought to you by Dr. Joe North. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and access more completely free resources at bigbangpartnership.co.uk forward slash resources. We'll see you next time.